0: Welcome to another episode of Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and crime. I'm Trish, your bartender for today. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender for today. So grab a cocktail and buckle up for the Hot Mess Express. Toot, toot. Beep, beep. <laughs> Welcome back to another bartending session with your bartender for today, Trish. And today we're doing a strawberry smash martini, which is very Valentine's Day themed. And it's also, if you know your restaurants, it's an old uh, drink from a current menu, (laughs) well past menu for a certain Uh, Steakhouse. (laughs) Um, Corporate steakhouse. (laughs) Yes. But it is a favorite. It is very good. Goes down like candy. Highly recommend. So for this, you need to take sliced strawberries. You don't have to, but I feel like it does help enhance the drink. You want to take some sliced strawberries. You want to mull them up. Make sure they're nice and macerated in your cup, you want to add ice, and then you need to get strawberry vodka. We use the Smirnoff strawberry because it's it's cheap. It has a good flavor. It's very easy to get a hold of. Do one and a half ounces of that, or you can do 1.25, but it's just, I feel like it's easier to do a one and a half ounce pour. I agree. <laughs> so you do a one and a half ounce pour of that, You do a half ounce of your St. Germain's. It is a cordial, if you've never seen it. It's an elderflower liqueur. It just kind of gives it a little sweeter taste. If you don't have it, use simple syrup. Yes. But I feel like the elderflower just gives it that extra notch. So, half ounce of that. And then you want to do two ounces of your citrus mix you don't have citrus, you can definitely make up some of your own with some lime juice, simple syrup, stuff like that. You want to shake that all together. You want to take your martini glass and just to be a little extra, get you a nice sugar rim. We used a nice Valentine's theme decorative sugar. And then you're going to, like I said, you shake your drink. Then you're going to strain it into your martini glass. It should have a nice pink look to it with little strawberry pieces and stuff and then you just enjoy and it's like I said it's very sweet but not overly sweet yes very sweet drink perfect for Valentine's Day definitely try this one out if you see strawberry and St. Germain's at any place you go highly recommend yes but that is our drink we hope you enjoy it be sure to check us out on instagram facebook uh, twitter tiktok all tequila she wrote we'll have recipe cards of reels we'll have a tiktok post with how to make these drinks welcome back to another round of crime tending <laughs> Welcome back to another case with your crime tender, Sloan. There we go. That was less awkward. <laughs> Only slightly, but a little less awkward. It happens. Today, I am bringing you... I know that this is releasing the day after Valentine's Day, but we're going to do our Valentine's case, our official Valentine's case today. And this is one that sounded familiar to me, but... It happened a, a bit ago. So it was definitely in the back of my memory if I had heard of this. So this is the story of Stephen and Tara Lynn Grant. Tara Lynn, originally Distramp, distram- dist- I should have looked that up. I was like, her maiden name was born on June 28, 1972, in Washington Township, Michigan, in Macomb County. She would go on to attend Michigan State University where she earned a bachelor's degree in business. It was during her time at Mich- Michigan State that Tara met Stephen who had recently dropped out of college to work for former state Senator Jack Baxen, a Democrat. Stephen asked Tara out a few times before she finally accepted one of his date proposals. Tara claimed she kind of had a boyfriend from up North where she was from And Stephen's response to that was, having a boyfriend like that was kind of like being pregnant. Either he's your boyfriend or not. So clearly, like, he's a great guy. I would say sounds amazing. He's a catch. But when Tara's grandmother passed away, Tara flew straight home for the funeral. She was surprised by a certain attendee. Stephen Grant, who had driven the distance to be there for Tara. Stephen called Tara on his way in to let her know that he had arrived at the funeral. And when she went outside to greet him, Stephen was surprised to meet the elusive boyfriend that she might not as well have had. (laughs) But guess what? He was invited to the funeral. Anyways, Grant said... That he was surprised to see the boyfriend there and it was awkward, but it wasn't terrible. And then they all went out to, di- to dinner like Tara, the boyfriend, Stephen, and the whole fam. Not awkward at all. ako taco, <laughs> no thank you. Don't sign me up for that. <laughs> I was gonna say, Ugh. don't sign me up for that. Surprisingly, Stephen said he felt out of place. I'm shocked. I don't know why. <laughs> why would you ever feel out of place? So he loved to return to Lansing, Michigan, where he felt like he belonged. The next day, Tara called Stephen, supposedly, this is all according to Stephen, to say she was in love with him. And then they dated for a few months before Tara moved into Stephen's bachelor pad. He couldn't find any work in Lansing because the Democrats lost their race that year in Michigan. So Stephen moved home to work for his father. His father owned like a machine shop, um, more specifically a tool and die shop. If you know what that is, I don't know what that is. I could have looked that up. I got stuck in rabbit holes during this case, so I did not look that up. A tool and die shop. A tool and die shop. So to me, I'm assuming it's like a scrap, maybe. I something. was gonna say something yeah. like that, I would but. Think. It's in Mount Clemens, Michigan, which is like right outside of Detroit. Steven and Tara ended up settling down in Detroit, Michigan together and were married in 1996. And Tara began working for Morrison Knudsen, which eventually became the Washington Group International, which is an international construction and engineering firm. I don't know why that word was so hard for me, but engineering firm. Tara was definitely one of those, like, career-driven women, and she took a lot of pride in her success. She was very much into climbing the corporate ladder and, you know, putting her all into her work. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Ambitious. I like it. But she also loved her children very much. And, yes, she had two children. She had a son and a daughter, and they were, like, three years apart. Yeah, I'll get into that in just a minute. But her job involved a lot of traveling. Most weeks were spent away on business, and she would come home on the weekends to her family. But more about the children, in November 2000, Tara gave birth to her daughter, and two years later, the couple was blessed with a surprise in the form of a baby boy. It was a surprise because Tara thought she had gotten a birth control shot from her doctor, but somehow they had given her the flu shot instead. Um. And that is how she became pregnant with their second child. Do you know how pissed I would be? I was gonna say. I'd be suing somebody. I am not a fan of children. I like your children as long as you like your children. But I like your children to be like over there. <laughs> And I just like to I, I I just I'm not a kid person. I like kids. Do I want any right now? No. Do I like like my friends' kids? Yes. But I can also give them back. They don't stay with me for long periods of time. <laughs> yeah. Trish likes to hold them and cuddle them, but that's she doesn't not the commitment part yes. of it. <laughs> but yeah, like if it just But if you're telling me I go to the doctor for birth control and I thought I'm covered, and then suddenly I'm not. I just don't understand because I I've always gotten my birth control from my gyno. Like, can you get that from your general practitioner? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You absolutely can. Okay, Sloane, shut up. That was a dumb question. I'll say yes. But we're all learning together. Anyway, I used to get my prescription from my um, family doctor back in Louisville. I mean, yeah, my guy gyno used to prescribe my antidepressants and stuff, and they, I I don't feel like they should be able to do that, but that is a conversation, <laughs> that is a conversation for another day. Yes. Uh, so anyways, yeah, she thought she was getting a birth control shot. She actually got the flu shot, and that is how they ended up with child numero dos meanwhile steven was working at his father's machine shop but ultimately he became a stay-at-home dad while she was off gallivanting with her career making money for the family i mean it was a good decision for the family because tara definitely brought in more money she was more ambitious with everything and you know steven left a job that he loved because he couldn't find work in that field to work in his family's shop. So, I, he's never said this, but I assume that Stephen has a lot of, like, guilt and embarrassment as far as this goes. Like, he would have much rather have been the breadwinner of the family. Absolutely. He probably felt emasculated. And then on top of that, he wasn't even working in a career that he loved. So, like... He definitely has come out and said some things about Tara after her death that we are going to get into that are very horrendous about, like just him point out how horrendous he is, but clearly he felt some type of way that he was the stay at home dad and not the one providing for the family. Meanwhile, Motually. there's us hoping to be stay-at-home pet parents. <laughs> I want to be a stay-at-home dog, Mom. So bad. So bad. My boys are so needy. They they need me to be home at all times. It's really for them. It is not for me at all. Keep telling <laughs> yourself that. <laughs> <laughs> lightning's going to strike in here at any moment. <laughs> Anyways. So, in 2007, Stephen and Tara decided to hire an au pair. They went through an agency that assigns foreign women to work as live-in nannies in America, and the Grant's family were assigned a young woman from Germany, Verena. That's such a pretty name. I was going to say, it's an interesting name. I love that name. I had a girl or two in high school that had that. I, I love that name. Um, but anyways, it's fairly safe to say that Stephen grew resentful of his role in the family dynamics, which is what I was saying earlier, because he was the caretaker and not the breadwinner. And he began lashing out at Tara because she was always gone, she was always traveling, always on the job, only home on the weekends. Sometimes he said, Not even that, she would like show up on Friday and be like, All right, I gotta go ahead and leave, I've got somewhere else I gotta be. Like, and he she just never really stayed put to be with the children, and that was frustrating to him. Understandable, I mean, I get it, yeah. But also, that's why they got an au pair, to help out around the house, to help with the kids. That didn't really help with Stephen's frustrations, apparently. But mm-hmm. He was quoted once as saying, I was a better mom than Tara was. There's no way to put it. I was the mom of the house. She was gone all the time. If the kids needed someone to take them to swimming or school or soccer practice, I took them. Congratulations, my dude. You were a fucking parent. I was gonna say, welcome to being a parent welcome to being a parent, like whether you're the mom or you're the dad, you are there to do the best for your kids that you can give and that you can provide for them. And if that means that you're the one that's taking them everywhere that they want to be to help them be their best selves, if that means that you're the ones packing up the lunch to making the nutrition, if that means that you're the one that has to do the traveling for the job that keeps the food on the table and the roof over the head, whatever that case may be, it should not matter whether you have the name mom or dad. Right. It should just matter that you are taking care of those children. Yep. But now we live in a society that men should be the ones to take care of the business side. And women should be the ones to stay home. So I repeat once again. Congratulations, my dude. You were a fucking parent. Which is what you signed up for. Yes. Sure, you only signed up for one kid, not two. But it is what it is, man. (laughs) I saw on one source, but I couldn't really confirm this anywhere. But it said that Steven was cheating on Tara with, like, multiple people. But mostly he was doing it to rebuild his ego, which, like, makes sense to me. I was going to say, I mean, it makes sense. His way of. (laughs) I didn't find proof to back that up. Just kind of throwing that out there. We do have proof eventually of at least one affair. But February 9th, 2007, on a Friday night, Tara returns home from a business trip from Puerto Rico. As soon as she walks in the door, it's on. It's on. The kids are already asleep. Steven, oh boy, he's been at home fuming, getting upset, getting riled up, getting ready to just throw down for this fight. Oh, God. Tara was due back in Puerto Rico for a business meeting early Monday, so she, that mean, that meant that she was going to have to fly out on Sunday night instead of Monday morning like she usually did, and that just pissed Stephen off. Like He's already fuming over his life in general, and then here she is saying, hey, I'm leaving early again. I'm spending less time with you and my children again, and in his eyes, it was kind of like, I don't care about you or our family again but in reality once again this is all for her job that helps provide for the family so it is what it is he told Tara she wasn't spending enough time with her family and that was that well that's not that but we'll get into those details later so fast forward five days February 12th Tara was scheduled to fly back to Puerto Rico but she never made her flight remember she was supposed to fly out that Monday so that's actually the 11th so She never made her flight. Stephen called the office in Puerto Rico, and he spoke with a man that he believed and had accused to other people to be having an affair with Tara. He had no proof of this. He just kind of had a hunch, but he had told people that she was having an affair with this man. And so I'm assuming that it's kind of like her partner or... you know, Yeah, someone she worked close with. Someone to where if you're calling in to check if your wife is at work, that they're picking up her work line or the yeah. one that hers is forwarded to or whatever. So, like, of course she's spending a lot of time with this man. Like, they are co-workers. You should trust your wife. Yeah. And I'm not saying that she wasn't cheating on him, but I am saying that he was... Um, what is the word whenever you like put what's within you out on other people uh, projecting basically yes. he was projecting his own life and his own guilt onto his wife projecting that was it so then by valentine's day this is almost a week after their fight on valentine's day Stephen finally called the cops and reported tara missing He told the police that they had an argument when she came home on the friday before he said that tara had called someone that he didn't know before leaving the house and being picked up at the end of the driveway by an unknown dark vehicle he said that he had tried calling tara several times he had left her multiple messages But she had a history of storming out slash leaving, which is why he waited the five to seven days to report her missing. Okay. He finally reported her missing whenever her family was like, I haven't heard from her. This is not like her. And she hadn't shown up for work. So her coworkers were getting suspicious too, because once again, she was an ambitious go-getter. She wouldn't just disappear from her job. Yeah. Yeah. And she was also, despite what Stephen likes to say, she was also a, a family person. She loved her family. So <laughs> anyway, so the day after Valentine's Day, the next day, Stephen was pulled over for a traffic violation, and he was arrested for suspicious suspicion of driving on a suspended license. They were able to hold him for six hours on this before his attorney got him out it's also worth noting, in my opinion, that on the police report they noted that he had four thousand dollars in cash on his person at the time of his arrest. Why do you have that much money? Like not a fucking clue. I I will hold on to some of that if you need me to, man. Right. I can be your ATM, just don't expect to make withdrawals ever again. Nope. Over the next couple of weeks, Stephen took to the media to get the word out on his missing wife, and it worked kind of. He was very on two ends of the spectrum here. some day, some nights he would get on there crying, begging Tara to call home, if not for him and their ten years of marriage, then at least call home for their two children who miss their mother. And then other nights he would get on there like almost angrily demanding her to call home. And how dare she abandon the family like she did. And so there was kind of a divide in Detroit at the time over, you know, was he guilty? Did he do this? Or the people that were buying into the crocodile tears. Yeah. The cops... Definitely lean more towards he's guilty, though. So they're on our side. I was gonna say, anytime you have like a spouse, just like I feel like you can you can look at somebody and tell when it's a genuine like yeah. cry. Yeah, and from what I remember about this case, now that I'm like hearing things, I was like, I remember seeing these videos. Me like. Mm-hmm. You're guilty. <laughs> yes, yes, that was me reading into this. Like at, the more I read into it, the more I remembered it. Because once again, this is fourteen years ago at this point. Yeah, I barely remember what I did yesterday. So we're doing good here, guys. I'm doing good remembering, remembering. <laughs> whatever. <I> remember. <laughs> but like I was saying, authorities had a different impression of Stephen Grant from most of the public. They said when they first got to his house, he was very nervous. He was fidgeting. He was trying to be, like, over-cooperative. And the more questions they asked of him, the more nervous he became. They also started eyeballing Verena, the au pair, because they were able to determine from emails in Steven's computer that the two had been having an affair for a few months at this point. It's always the au pair unfortunately so in this case specifically yeah but it was definitely not Verena she had a solid alibi she was out with friends the night of the night and there was like video footage and her friends had her back with the alibi and there was yeah. payment proof and video proof that she was not at home at the time that this happened so then fast forward another week February 20th, 2007, a woman contacted the police with some curious information. Oh, no, this is not a week ahead. I'm just a couple of days ahead. <laughs> I thought this was a different situation. It's fine. Anyways, so this woman is an ex-girlfriend of Stevens, and he had started emailing her over the past few weeks. In some of those emails, Stephen said he suspected Tara had been having an affair, so he installed a device on their home computer to track what she was doing, who she was talking to... Blah, blah, blah. But then he would also go on to ask the ex-girlfriend to see her naked. But you're sitting here accusing your wife of having an affair. Right. While you're asking to see a woman that is not your wife naked. Yep. Makes sense. Okay, sir. All right. Anyways, just wanted to make that point clear. Um, he said that, of course, he would ask that, though. He's a guy. Every guy would do that. Every guy wants to see women naked. Great cover, my dude. You're still a piece of shit. I was gonna say. It- when Steven is brought in for questioning by the Macomb County Sheriff's Department, he refused to take a polygraph test. So, I'm borderline on that. I was gonna say, I mean, so I get it, because... It makes you look guilty, but also it's it's a good decision for all of us if we're ever in this situation because polygraphs aren't worth shit. Yeah. Half the time they don't even stand up in court. Mm-hmm. So, Grime, Stephen's attorney, said Stephen would reconsider taking the polygraph if a different sheriff's department would administer the test, but he felt that the Macomb County Department was targeting and harassing him. Poor baby. The next day, the Macomb County Sheriff's Department holds its first news conference about Tara Grant. They announced a plan to continue to do so daily until she was found. They made it clear from the get that Stephen was their primary suspect, and they even released the emails from the ex-girlfriend to the media. The next day, during the daily update, authorities announced they were beginning ground search. Just now. She went missing on the 9th, She was reported missing on Valentine's Day. And this is February 22nd. And the cops are beginning their ground search. Oh, hey. They also released the call logs from that night to the media. Stephen's call logs and even Stacy's call logs. And remember how in his original report, Stephen said Tara made a phone call to someone he didn't know And then a strange car picked her up at the end of the driveway. Mm -hmm. That phone call never happened. I know, I know, we're all shocked. We all just gasped. How (laughs) dare he lie about Uh, something like this? um, But he did. That phone call never existed. Never existed. Not from her cell phone, not from their house phone, not even from Stephen's phone. Stephen pulled this whole thing out of his ass. But it's once like again, you didn't think they were going to check that out. Right. Right. But once again, Stephen is playing victim. His attorney announces on the news that Stephen is an absolute emotional wreck and the Macomb County Sheriff's Department was mistreating him during such a hard time in his life. Let me pull out the smallest violin for you. Well, when all of the fingers are pointing back at you saying you're the guilty one. Yeah there might be something to it. The next day, Steven turns in two of his home computers to the authorities to check out. February 24th, the day after that, the police conducted a four and a half hour search of Stony Creek Metro Park and the surrounding wooded areas, which are like all of the wooded areas outside of the Grant's home. Because Tara was known to jog in the area whenever she was home. But they didn't find anything during the search. They didn't find anything during this four and a half hour search. Okay. Yeah, sure. (laughs) So that search, the four and a half hour search, that happened on February 24th. Remember, they did not find anything. I know I have enunciated that enough, but on February 29th, Five days later, Sheila Werner, a Detroit citizen, was walking a trail in the 4,500-acre woodland preserve just north of Detroit when she spotted something tucked under a tree. Sheila was quoted on the news as saying, quote, Because there was sn- snow on the ground, it stood out like a sore thumb. I mean, there was bright red blood in the bag. End quote. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, I get that it's 4,500 acres, but this woman is walking a trail. Like, it's a main path by the sounds of it. How was that missed in the four and a half hours? Unless it wasn't there at that point. I was going to say, the only other option is that it got disposed of after the search. And I don't know, guys. I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. I'm just throwing out the questions that I have (laughs) about this case. Right. Anyways, so, she said it was stuck out like a sore thumb, blah, blah, blah. She picked the bag up and reported it to the sheriff's Never. office because, <laughs> you know, Stephen and Tara were all over the news. Further tests, further tests showed that not only was there blood in the bag, but also metal shavings. You don't say. Who do we know that works with metal? <laughs> like, with tools maybe this is what would finally lead to a search warrant being served against stephen grant march 1st the start the search continues this time authorities searched near s es- escanaba escanaba Escan- Escan- once Escanba, again, i think once again we feel like we're going back to school with this learning experience <clears throat> it's still fun it's still fun guys Where Tara's family had a cabin. They thought maybe Tara just snuck away for some alone time, but they were also weary of any sign of foul play around the cabin. But they did not find a single damn thing. Because it didn't happen at the cabin. I was going to say. March 2nd, Stephen appeared on an hour and a half long interview on the news, a local channel. Steven griped about how Tara treated him like a valet, how she was a bad mother because she didn't spend enough time with her kids, how he didn't love them, how she didn't love them. Like, I mean, clearly he was on there for an hour and a half. You don't make yourself look that great, dude. Complaining about his missing wife. Tell me you're guilty. Uh, telling me you're guilty. Later that same day, a search warrant was finally signed and served. Allowing the investigators to start search the Grant's home itself—not just the cabin, but their home. How many <laughs> like weeks later? Um, pretty much um three weeks later. I was gonna say a I month, was like, you're almost was- a month later at this point. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was going to say a month. But that was be- me being my dramatic self. <laughs> like, she came home on the 9th. She was reported missing on the 14th. So, we do have that five-day almost-a-week yeah. delay, and that's on Stephen. We can't put that on um, the authority. Yeah. But, so, from Valentine's Day until this is now March 3rd that they are searching the house. And I did read that... I did read, and I did kind of touch on it earlier... That they searched the house whenever she first went missing, but it was with Stephen there kind of guiding them on where to look. I was gonna say, it's not them just going about it themselves. Yeah. At that point, like, they were suspicious of him, but they didn't really have reason or any evidence to be suspicious of him. They were suspicious of him at that point because he was the closest person to the case. But... Now they actually have the evidence supporting, like, their suspicions. Right. Right. To give them, like, all access to search the house instead of just underneath his watchful glance. Watchful glare. Whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, search warrant signed being enforced on the Grant's home, as well as a local business where Stephen worked. So, we assume this is the family business. Mm And Stephen was even home when the search warrant was served. He allowed the, deputies in, the deputy, deputies in with no resistance. And he asked to take the family dog on a walk because the dog was being kind of rowdy. And he was just like, it'll be better if I take the dog away from here while y'all do this. Which felt, because my boys are rowdy yes, and needy. But also... They just let this man (laughs) walk out the fucking door with the dog. I don't understand! Which they didn't have a warrant for his arrest. They only had a warrant to search the house. Yeah. So I get it. They're looking for enough reason to arrest him. But I would not let this man out of my sight. I 1000% agree with you. I'm just saying that also they did not have reason to hold him at this point. Yeah. But they're about to. (laughs) I remember this part. Uh, It's coming back. I remember this part and I'm just like, idiot. (laughs) Yep. So they let him go because he was not under arrest. So he was allowed to do so. In his absence, authorities found a tote in the garage that was not there during their first walkthrough. So once again, it does appear like he went back after authorities searched and put things into place which is possibly why the woman found yeah uh, several days after they had just searched that area but back to back to the current time in this story in the tote they found a plastic bag with blood seeping out of it inside was the fully clothed torso of a woman's body they had finally found tara Lynn. During the search of Steven's father's machine shop they found a shit ton of forensic evidence hair blood and even some of Tara's flesh and when authorities couldn't find or who the th- who the authorities couldn't find was Stephen Grant. he left to walk the dog and never returned home. <sighs> The next day on the news, investigators announced they found body parts in the Grant home and that they were looking for Stephen on murder charges. They knew Stephen had contacted his sister recently to check on their kids, on his kids, because they were tracing his cell phone at this point. Yeah. They They were able to trace the call to the Wilderness State Park in northern Michigan, over 200 miles away from his home after searching all night they finally found steven in that exact park the next morning a little bit before seven on sunday march 4th he was like when they found him he did not really have any clothes on considering this was michigan in march there was snow everywhere, i would say it's cold and he had also ingested a lot of prescription medicines and alcohol so it was clear that he was trying to commit suicide or hopeful that the elements would take him right you know fill in the blank with your imagination or don't i highly recommend don't (laughs) he was airlifted to the closest hospital to be treated for frostbite and hypothermia remember this is sunday They also treated him for the alcohol and the prescription pills he had overdosed it on. He later would tell authorities that he was trying to commit suicide, clearly. I was like, you don't say. that same day, canine dogs found more of Tara's remains in the Stony Creek Park in Shelby Township. At this point, David Grime, the attorney, Stephen's attorney, Mm -hmm. steps down. I mean, what do you do at that point? (laughs) Um, (laughs) You either buckle up for the ride (laughs) and hope you can find a technicality. You either pull a Giuliani or you you call it quick. So, he steps aside as Stephen's attorney. Stephen makes a quick enough recovery to confess everything to the police on March 5th, which is that Monday. Yeah. He's in the hospital being treated for hypothermia (laughs) and frostbite on Sunday morning. And he's confessing to police on that Monday morning. He was released from the hospital and immediately went to the county jail to await arraignment. In his confession, Stephen claims that they started arguing as per usual when Tara slapped him. And that's when he kind of snapped a little bit. He admits to hitting her back and that's when she quote unquote fell and claimed she was going to take the kids away from him. And also make him homeless. She called him a piece of shit. I said I mean lie. Same. <laughs> I said where's the lie in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> then Stephen began strangling Tara. For at least four minutes. And that's where he said he like officially snapped. Was whenever he started strangling her. Because he remembers like choking her. And he... He says, I put my hands on her neck and choked her. She finally grabbed my hand at one point, but it was too late then. I couldn't stop. I knew I was going to prison. I panicked. So then, once she kind of passed out from that, Stephen wrapped his belt around her neck and used it to drag her down the stairs and put her in the back of his SUV. All the while, his kids are asleep in their bedrooms and Verena is out on the town. But according to Stephen, Verena didn't come home short Verena did come home shortly after he got Tara situated in the SUV. And this is whenever he started spinning his little tell about what happened. Yeah. He told Verena that Tara had left him after they had a big argument. And then he immediately started calling Tara's phone in an in an attempt to build the story. Yeah. The next day, Steven left his house with Tara's body in the car. He took her to his father's shop to dismember her. He then put the pieces of her body into a plastic tub and, for whatever reason, put that tub on top of his children's sled. He says he took the sled to the wooded area behind his house where he lost control of the sled and it took off. And he laughed as he told this story, too. So it took off. It was filled with the dismembered body pieces before the sled and the tub fell over, breaking and scattering the body pieces everywhere. Yeah. How funny. December 21st, so we are fast-forwarding a few months here. December 21st, 2007, Stephen Grant Grant was found guilty on murder in the second degree. He was charged with murder in the first degree, but the jury couldn't agree on that. Yeah. So they settled for murder in the second degree. I'll say it's hard to usually do first degree. Yeah. And two months later, Stephen was sentenced to a minimum of 50 years in prison he tried to fight his sentencing, but lost on March 10th, 2010, leaving his original sentence of 50 to 80 years intact. He argued that the police and the judicial system was prejudiced against him due to the widely spread news coverage that he started, by the way. I also. was going to say, dude, you started it. <laughs> that he started. But the Michigan Supreme Court agreed with the lower courts that the trial was fair and just and upheld all of it. hmm thank you because we all know that the justice system does not always work in our favor so like this is definitely one of those cases that it could have gone either way tara's sister currently and will forever will always have custody of their two children and she said that she is trying her best to shield them from what happened until they are old enough to take that on slash understand which like they I don't never, think you will ever yeah. understand. Yeah, but also her sister knows that she can't hide this from them. Yeah, for forever. Better have some good therapist on standby. Mm-hmm. Tara's sister also filed a wrongful death suit against Stephen after the fact, and Stephen's father sadly committed suicide June thirteenth, two thousand eight. So very I was shortly, I like. Those closest to him said that he never recovered after the actions of his son, and he felt like his son had destroyed his family and there was really no like coming back from it. And so, yeah, uh, that is the case of Stephen Grant, the murderer of his beloved wife, Tara Lynn Grant. There has been a slew of media released about this case over the past decade or so, including a recent 2020 episode Um, There are two different books about this, A Slaying in the Suburbs by Andrea Billups and Steve Miller, and also Limb from Limb by George Hunter. There's also a few different episodes, um, one on Casanova Killers, which is on the Biography Channel, and then the other two are from Investigation Discovery, of course. One is on (laughs) Scorn Love and one is on betrayed, Betrayed Beware. But yeah, that is my case for today. Happy Valentine's, (laughs) lovers! Right, (laughs) Uh, just remember, it's um, if if some loved one comes on the news crying hysterically about their missing spouse, be weary. I'm not saying don't trust them because sometimes we never we never know what we would do until we are in those situations ourselves like me I like to think that I'm a heartless bitch and my black is a, my soul is as black as coffee <laughs> but also in reality I know that if something were to happen to my husband I would be a fucking wreck yeah <laughs> like <laughs> don't tell him I said that <laughs> <laughs> Like, see, oh. see, I am a, I am the definition of a Sour Patch Kid, <laughs> so I, I truly do uphold, like, you never know what you're going to do until you are in that situation yourself. Yeah, but it's just, there's a reason why police tend to look at those close to the victims, because spouses, girlfriend, boyfriend, friends, stuff like that, because most of the time it is someone close. So, yeah, that was uh, that, is the case. <laughs> that was an interesting one, and I guess we'll uh, kick you off to the last call now. <laughs> Bye. Alright, welcome to another last call with your bartender for today, Trish. I know we normally try to keep our last calls lighthearted and everything, but I found this and thought it was interesting. It is serial killer facts that are equally interesting and haunting. Okay then. So, if you know Ed Gein, I do. Yeah, not personally, you, but not <laughs> if you know the case, you know kind of about like what he was known for. If you don't, I'm sure we are going to cover him at some point. So, when police arrested Ed Gein. His house was a pigsty. They found countless body parts from his various grave digging excursions, including a bag of wilted vaginas and the infamous skin lampshade and half-finished woman suit made of human skin. However, his mother's room was pristine and untouched, which I feel like says a lot about him (laughs) mentally. Uh, my friend, Emily, is a, um, blanking on the word, not psychologist, but, like, she's a social worker, so, like, mm-hmm. she is always reaching out and being like, yeah, I listened to this, and this is what I have to say about, like, the psychology side of it, and I'm like, you and Sloan get along so well. <laughs> I've been very intrigued with psychology for a very long time. Yes. Continuing with Ed Keen, uh, interesting facts, when he was being interrogated, he asked for a cup of coffee and a slice of apple pie with cheese on top. Years later, Travis Bickle and taxi driver ordered the exact same meal. So whether that was kind of like a shout out to Ed Gein or not, mm-hmm. not sure. But yeah. Third fact, Pee Wee Gaskin's who I feel like I know, but, like, I don't know too much about, so I'm definitely going to have to look into this one. He was the most prolific serial killer in South Carolina and drove around a hearse with a bumper sticker that read, We haul anything living or dead. Okay, then. Number four, The Bodies Beneath John Wayne Gacy's House. ...were crammed together so tightly the bones fused together and it took over two years to separate all the skeletons. Mm -hmm. Gacy is one of my roommates. She's intrigued by him, but the fact that he was a clown clown. freaks her out. (laughs) Sounds about right. Yes. The hillside strangler picked up a young woman to murder... Then they discovered that her father was Peter Lore, a legendary Hollywood character actor. They they let her go because they feared that killing a celebrity's daughter would bring too much attention. So at least they were a little... Aware? Aware that what they were doing maybe wasn't a good thing, but yeah. It's, It's a... A little disturbing to think. <laughs> number six, good old Jeffrey Dahmer. He my is my favorite. He is number six and seven for this one. Good. I think he has another one later on, which we both know, but it's still fun. Um Jeffrey Dahmer gave the people in his apartment building sandwiches that could have possibly been made from the victim's flesh, which Makes me never want to accept anything from a stranger ever again. <laughs> I didn't want to to begin with. Yeah, but it gives me more reason. Right. Um, Dahmer also worked in a chocolate factory, which I don't think I ever knew. Shockingly, I don't think I did either. It's a little interesting. Number eight, the BT killer installed alarms at several people's houses because of their fear of the BTK killer. (laughs) (laughs) How freaked out would you be if you (laughs) later on were watching like the news of him being captured and then you see the face of the man that was (laughs) installing your alarm? (laughs) I would be like, oh shit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) hmm. Yes, (laughs) I was like, never safe, never safe anywhere. Uh, Number nine, Mac Ray Edwards was a serial killer who worked for Caltrans. He'd kill his victims and then bury their bodies in places he would later help build highways over. Not all of his victims have been found and many are very likely still underneath some of the California highways you may have driven over countless times. Makes me just question any overpass I ever drive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Number 10, Albert Fish would stick needles into his pelvis while he was masturbating, which just sounds painful. And I don't truly understand, but okay. Number 11, Brazilian serial killer Little Petey murdered over 40 people while in prison. He began to murder his... Sorry. He began by murdering the gang that killed his girlfriend and then stabbed his father, who was in prison for killing his mother during a visit. He was well liked because he was considered some sort of visual event, like vigilante avenger. Despite killing indiscriminately within prison, basically they consider like there was no difference between drug possession and murder, (laughs) which is just. I feel like those foreign prisons. There's like a very <laughs> gray area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number twelve, another Jeffrey Dahmer fact, which I know we have discussed between ourselves, and that. But Jeffrey Dahmer didn't eat people with tattoos because he said the ink made their ta- their flesh taste weird. Oh no, I am marked. <laughs> <You> <laughs> I can cannot so- have me. I am so sorry. I do not taste well to you, Jeffrey. I guess I'm marked safe. (laughs) Just add a little bit of spice. Yes. (laughs) Number 13, the BTK killer actually makes people fill out an application to be able to write to him in prison. Both of you to be picky now. (laughs) Number 14, Ted Bundy worked a suicide prevention hotline center before, like, well... Not before, but like kind of during his reign of terror, which I think I knew. Number 15, the FBI estimates anywhere between 150 to 2,000 active serial killers in the U.S. Again, I will never feel safe outside ever again. Number 16, Ted Bundy helped in the investigation of the Green River Killer and made a psych profile which ended up being closer to the actual Green River killer than the FBI's own psych profile. Uh, Tell me that's not disturbing, that a known serial killer can make a profile better than the FBI. mm. (laughs) Number 17, Charles Manson's mother once traded him for a pitcher of beer. I mean, why wouldn't it have been margaritas, ma'am? I would get (laughs) behind you on that. Not really, but still. Not really. (laughs) Sounds like. Child, no. Margaritas, yes. Yes. (laughs) And my last little interesting slash disturbing fact. Randall Woodfield, the I-5 killer, was drafted by the Green Bay Packers in the 17th round of the NFL draft. I did not know that. Nope. Interesting. And that just proves that you don't know who you are beside, who you, like, work with, anything like that. True. (laughs) So. True. Like I said, we normally try to keep these lighthearted, but I just, I came across that, and I was like, this is too interesting not to, because there, as a crime junkie, there are things like random little tidbits that don't get talked about because people want to get details about the actual case out there. Yeah. Which is a good thing, but also these little fun things are a way to, in a sense, make these lighthearted and stuff. But it's also a little disturbing to think some of these. <laughs> so, that's what I wanted to do today for our last call. If you liked that and want to know some more, I'm sure I can find some more Um if you have any suggestions for drinks, cases, last calls, stuff like that, you can email us at tequila she wrote at gmail.com. We also have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all that. It's all tequila she wrote. You can send us reviews on stuff, anything like that. Interact about the cases, all that good stuff. You can rate and leave us a little comments on Spotify and all that we post every we post the episodes every Tuesday and Friday we also have Patreon set up where for as little as two dollars a month you get these episodes which once we start ads will be ad free and then you'll have a bonus episode and then if you go up in tier like in the tiers you get different bonus stuff I think that's it right sounds right i was like i was like i think i'm not forgetting anything that's about it this is the hot mess express for a reason thank you for joining us on the hot mess express we will see you next time toot toot beep beep